0: Welcome. My name is Caleb, and you are listening to the Vitamin C Podcast. Hey, guys. Oh, boy. So, I complain a lot about my sleep patterns on here. I'll always come on here and say, Hey, I'm really tired. I was super tired, really tired. Yeah, that's kind of a constant thing for me. There are some medical reasons for that, but large in part, I just have a terrible sleep schedule. And at least some of the blame goes on me. But as of late, especially last night, I have just been having some crazy dreams. And I'm not going to get into those. I don't like talking about weird dreams, okay? like That's just, I don't care about yours, and I hope you don't care about mine. So just so we're on the same page, that's all I'm not talking about. I don't care about yours. You don't care about mine, so I don't want to hear about yours. And you won't hear about mine. I'll just say I've been having them, and it's disrupting my sleep. And the only thing I can point to is just that I've been watching a bunch of like scary ish movies as of late, but really not that scary. Not that scary. Because the new Scream comes out in like two weeks. So I was re watching the Scream movies because I said, oh, I could do a whole episode talking all about the Scream movies. And some of them I actually haven't seen. So it's watching some for the first time and then re watching a couple. I have one left and that's just rewatching the one that came out last year. But I've now watched all of them, and to be honest, I was a little bit disappointed with a couple of them. I kind of expected a little bit better, but whatever. Anyway, I was watching those, and then I watched The Ring last night, which, yeah, surprisingly, I never saw The Ring when it was like a big deal when it first came out and everyone loved the movie. I was one of the kids that had no idea what it even was. But now fast forward years later, and I discovered that Gore Verbinski directed The Ring which Gore Verbinski directed the first three Pirates of the Caribbean movies so basically the only Pirates of the Caribbean movies and then he also directed Rango which is in my opinion a top five animated movie of all time it might be my personal favorite and he also has a movie called A Cure for Wellness which is another one that is super disturbing but I love that movie And then he did The Lone Ranger, the one with Johnny Depp and Army Hammer, where both of those guys now, you look at them and you say, wow, crazy that they were headlining a movie because now, not to say they're both borderline criminals, but let's just say they're not the type of guys you want headlining your movies anymore. But at the time, I actually liked that movie. I've rewatched it and actually enjoyed it. I can't really rewatch it anymore because my mind is on both of the actors at several points where I'm just like, oh man tough to see these guys, but I did enjoy the movie when it came out. So that's the thing. I've liked the majority of Gore Verbinski's movies. Oh, also one more. He has the movie Mouse Hunt. I mean, he's got a few more that I haven't seen, but he has a movie called Mouse Hunt, which is just a totally silly movie. It's like slapstick humor where these guys are trying to exterminate a mouse from this property that they inherited. It's these two brothers and the mouse is just too smart for him. I'm telling you, it is one of the silliest movies ever, but it is so funny to watch that mouse run around the house and do all these like acrobatics and stuff to get away from them. And he's just so friggin' smart. It's hilarious. Yeah, so huge fan of Mouse Hunt personally. But yeah, basically, I've liked all of Gore Verbinski's movies. So I was like, yeah, I'm gonna watch The Ring. And I had no idea how closely Scary Movie 3 followed The Ring. It's like if you watch. Scary Movie 1, and then you watch Scream, you'll be just cracking up throughout Scream. Even though Scream is intentionally funny at quite a few points because it's kind of making fun of other slasher movies, they still did a spoof of it with Scary Movie 1. And so when you watch Scream, it's just so hard to watch if the first movie you saw of the two was Scary Movie. And now with this one, I'm telling you, I had no idea how much of... Scary Movie 3 was from The Ring. I knew some of it was, but basically a lot of it is. And there are just so many scenes where I'm like, oh my gosh, this should be creepy right now. But I'm just cracking up because I'm just thinking of all the stupid, stupid jokes in Scary Movie 3 based on these scenes. Which I gotta say, I really do love those first three scary movies. The first one, I think, in hindsight, is probably the funniest. The second one is really funny, too. And the third one I'm a fan of. The fourth one is definitely a drop in quality. And I never saw the fifth. I just heard it is terrible from people that I trust that actually liked the first three, four movies have basically told me the fifth one is unwatchable. And I'm pretty sure the director of that went on to do Space Jam New Legacy, so I kind of trust them when they say it's bad. It's not that it's the director's fault Space Jam New Legacy is bad, by the way. I mean, there are a number of reasons for that. It can't be put completely on the director's shoulders because I think that movie had two directors and whatever. It was going to be a bad movie no matter what. I mean, the first one is frankly not a good movie, so of course the second one isn't going to be any better could have been, but it wasn't going to be. Even getting Don Cheadle as the villain just was not enough. But hey, you guys are not tuning in to hear me talk about me having a bad sleep schedule and me watching The Ring while thinking of Scary Movie 3 and the Scream movies. I had thought about talking a bit about the Scream movies, just recapping those, but I feel like I need to watch one more. Stay tuned, I guess. But the movie that I am talking about today is a newly released movie at the cinema, and that is Cocaine Bear, directed by Elizabeth Banks. So I'm sure a bunch of you have seen the trailers to Cocaine Bear and thought, that looks really fun. That looks really, I don't want to say interesting, because I doubt anyone is expecting some thought provoking movie out of this. But I think a lot of people thought this looks like fun. And yeah, I'm going to talk a bit about that because it's that, it's fun, but it's not anything more than that at all. So for people who maybe are a bit like me, who like deep thinking movies and things that emotionally move you outside of just making you laugh a little bit, this is not going to be your type of movie, but I will go a little bit more into depth on that. So first, let me just talk about I went to see it. I saw an earlier afternoon showtime, the earliest they had available. It was a 5 p.m. because it was the Thursday showings. And it's because I just wanted to get it out of the way right away and have the rest of the night to myself. And I want to be as awake as possible. So I said, okay, late afternoon. I'm wide awake. Let's do it. So I sat down in my theater, the trailers are playing. And then I see this guy walk in with his kid. And I kid you not, his kid is max like 10 years old. Max. But I would bet on him being closer to eight. We'll give him right in between. So we'll say he's nine. But basically, the kid looked very young. And I thought, well, this is not really the type of movie for a kid that age. But I don't know. I tried to think of it and I said, When I was in sixth grade, I think that a lot of the parents were taking their kids to see, I guess they saw Meet the Spartans though. They didn't see 300. 300 was when I was in fifth grade, but I don't think anyone actually saw 300. I think they all pretended they did, but saw Meet the Spartans, which came out a year later and that one was PG-13. So I don't know, maybe they saw 300 when I was in fifth grade, but even then that puts them at what, 10 going on 11? I don't know, whatever. I don't need to think about this because I'm never going to have kids that age. So we'll just move on. We'll say the kid's nine years old and just forget about what that means all the implications of that i'll just say i think that's a bit young to be going to a movie like cocaine bear that is very violent has a ton of language and i don't think anyone had any way of knowing what kind of sexual content there was seeing as this was the opening thursday preview to it i mean they tell you in the mpaa rating but sometimes there's stuff in the movie that they don't really include in the mpaa header you know where sometimes they might sneak stuff in you don't know about If you're an adult, it's no big deal. It's like, oh, no, booby! i have never seen those before. But if you're a nine-year-old kid, it might honestly be like, oh, whoa, I've never seen those before. I mean, I don't know, I guess maybe they've come across one or two in their life, but you'd probably prefer your nine-year-old doesn't see those. But here's the thing, before this movie even starts, they are showing the trailers to all the upcoming movies. And because Cocaine Bear is a hard R, they are showing the Red Band trailers to these upcoming movies. And so they showed the Red Band trailer to Evil Dead Rise, I believe is what the new one's called. I don't know. Might be something else. I'm not a diehard Evil Dead fan. I really don't know much about those movies. I thought they were originally supposed to be campy, silly horror movies, and now they look pretty dang scary. I don't know. Well, I say they look scary, but what I mean is they sound scary. I close my eyes during the trailer. I don't watch those. Here I'm telling you guys that I'm sort of watching some horror movies at home, but still, I don't watch horror movie trailers. Are you crazy? There's some horror movies that are just too scary for me. I mean, I told you guys when I saw Smile, I ruined my life, dude. But this particular trailer is playing and I don't have my eyes actually closed. I actually have them glued to my phone, which is in my lap so that I am not looking at the screen at all. But I seriously, and I kid you not, I hear this kid start crying. And I was like, wow, what a bitch. But at the same time, I was like, well, he's nine years old. This seems like a scary trailer. I mean, I don't know. I'm not looking at the screen, but I'm sure it's a scary trailer. He was crying. I'm looking at his dad like, wow. I'm looking at his dad after the trailer's done playing when they're playing a trailer to some dog movie with Will Ferrell and Jamie Foxx where they say the F word a million times. They're both playing dogs, not actually playing them. They're voicing dogs. They have actual dogs on screen, but Will Ferrell and Jamie Foxx are doing the voices. One of these days, though, I want to see them do it where they do one of these dog movies where instead of using animation or actual dogs and just doing voices for them, I want to see people in the dog costumes because that's how they would have done it back in the day of real cinema. They would have said, This is all going to be practical, and they would have put people in dog suits. And you would just have to build a massive, massive set so that everything is to scale. So, like, if I was in a Golden Retriever costume, now it might give people the wrong idea. There might be some weird sexual connotations to men dressed in full-size dog costumes. But for me, as someone who doesn't really know much about that, I'll just say, I would like to see it as a cinema lover. Like, you're telling me you would not see a movie where a grown man is in a dog costume, and they had to build like a regular house, but they had to make it three times the size so that the guy in the dog costume looks like the size of a regular golden retriever. You know what I mean? Like that would be next level. I would pay money to see that. Whoever in Hollywood has the guts to do that, I'm telling you, people would see it. Out of curiosity alone, they would see it. You might think, dude, that would be so weird and creepy. Yeah, so was Cats. And I guess nobody saw Cats. And Cats didn't necessarily do the same thing, but they are full-size freaking cats in the movie. I only saw that movie because Taylor Swift was in it. Okay, that's not the only reason. That is definitely not even close to the only reason. I went to see it because I thought, that looks terrible. I want to be able to tell my siblings' kids because I want to have my own posterity but I want to be able to tell my friends and my siblings' kids years down the road when they say, whoa, what's this movie Cats? It's ranked as like the worst movie of all time. I'll be like, "Hey, I was the one guy who saw this in theaters. I get made so little at the box office that basically I have a better chance of winning the lottery than I do of meeting another person who saw Cats in theaters. And that's just a freaking fact, dude. I mean, it's not a fact. I am exaggerating a little bit, but I'm sure there are a lot of crazy things that I have a higher probability of running into than to run into another person who saw cats in theaters. Because when I went, there were three other people in my theater. And I kid you not, 10 minutes into the movie, I was the last man standing. Sitting, technically. But you know what I mean. I was the only one left. And I said, well, I got to stick it out now. And then Probably about an hour and a half into the movie, I said, I cannot take this anymore. I cannot do it. But there was part of me that said, well, Taylor Swift is in this movie and she hasn't appeared on screen yet. And some of you might be saying, wow, you sat through Cats for Taylor Swift. No, no, no. I sat through the last 20 minutes of Cats for Taylor Swift. I was just waiting for her to appear because I made a deal with myself. I said, okay, it was like 1140. I said, if she does not appear by midnight, I am walking out of this film. And sure enough, she pops up on screen, and I check my phone, and it was 11.58. And I said, she barely made the cut. And then the movie was over in the next 15 minutes, I would say. So yeah, I almost walked out, but part of me knew I had to be there for the experience. I had to be the guy that stuck it out from start to finish so that years later, when they talk about the worst movies in the history of cinema, the biggest disasters, I can say, I saw that one in theaters. And I stayed from start to finish. I mean, that's like landing on the moon, dude. Like only a handful of people will ever, ever do that. Anyway, Back to this kid. Yeah, this little pussy was so traumatized, dude. He was crying. And I was like, why did you bring him here? You're about to watch something not more disturbing than that trailer because I don't know. I haven't watched the trailer. Like I said, I was looking at my phone. I was drafting up hilarious tweets. I mean, what do you want me to do? But still, I just said, this kid shouldn't be here. And I talk to adults all the time. I should say, I talk to adults all the time on social media, where when these types of conversations come up, there'll be somebody that says, why are you bringing your 12-year-old kid to an R-rated movie? And hey, maybe 12 is one where it's like, ah, they're growing into their adulthood. Maybe it's fair. I don't know. I personally am glad I didn't see movies like that at that age, but whatever. But there'll be people like, oh. They're going to be exposed to it at some point. Why not do it at 12? And like, yeah, I get that sometimes, but I don't support showing your 12 year old like Pulp Fiction or the Wolf of Wall Street, you know, not just for the language, but the other stuff in the movie. It's like, I don't think they need to see all that at that age. I think you're tainting their mind too early. I mean, they're going to be exposed to that stuff over the years, but I think an in incremental values is the best way to do it. I don't think just throwing them right into the pit at that age is the best thing for their brains. Because this kid, I'm telling you, is going to have some crazy images in his head for the next few months, and it's like, "Well, what? Who's he got to talk to about it? His parents who were dumb enough to take him to see the movie?" Or classmates who some probably can't even tie their own shoes. Like, what are we doing here, guys? But whatever. As expected, the kid did not handle the trailer well. I mean, I wasn't really expecting anything. But if you would expect someone to not handle that trailer well, the main candidates, it would be like, okay, me, I probably wouldn't handle it too well. And if there was like a little kid in the theater, he probably wouldn't. And in this case, little kid in the theater didn't handle the trailer well. But anyway, then the movie is about to start, and I kid you not, right when the movie's about to start, I start getting this second-hand high because this theater smelled so strong of weed right when the lights dimmed. I kid you not, the lights dimmed after the trailers, and AMC does a few more videos right before showing the movie. That's another thing. This guy had yelled out after a trailer. He's like, come on, how long are they going to keep us waiting? Like, that is a weird thing to yell out. I mean, yeah, they show a lot of trailers, but is this your first movie? Every movie shows a lot of trailers, especially at AMC, man. They show a lot of trailers, but still, it's like, it's been 20 minutes. It's a bit much sometimes, but that's just how it goes. But yeah, the lights dim, they start showing the AMC promo stuff, and I start smelling weed so strong that I am lightheaded. And look, I'm not an anti-weed guy. You guys can smoke what you want to smoke. Fine, whatever. I'm just saying, I don't want to smell it when I'm in a theater. Like, Come on, dude. You think I wanted to spend my Thursday afternoon hotboxing with a bunch of strangers and one with their nine-year-old son while watching Cocaine Bear? Some of that sounds appealing on the surface, but all of those elements combined? No. And honestly, I was trying to figure it out the first five minutes of this movie where I was like, okay, because the smell was slowly fading, but it got really, really strong for that three minute stretch. It was incredibly potent. And I was thinking, okay, either somebody actually lit it up in the theater and took a quick puff and pass. And then they put it out, which I don't really know how you would go about doing that. I've never smoked weed in a theater before, or they quickly stepped out and took a puff outside and then came into the theater. But I didn't really see anyone go in and out of the theater at that point in time or I said, some people already reeked of weed because they got really high. Maybe they were hot boxing right before the movie. They sat down in the theater, and then maybe minutes later, when the lights dimmed, maybe the doors shut and the AC kicked in, and their stench just blew my way. But I wasn't feeling any air in the theater either, so I don't know. Any theories from you guys would be appreciated. I'm really trying to figure out where the smell of weed came from, but this is the type of movie where, yes, I would expect people to be very high when they watch it because, frankly, it felt like it was made by somebody that was on drugs, but I guess that's kind of fitting for the movie itself. But, yeah, movie starts, still smelling weed, and then there's something that happens that's somewhat funny, I guess. It's not that funny. It's like one of those funny, crazy moments, but... I don't know, not something I laughed out loud at, but this person started laughing so hard. It was like a really loud giggle. And I said, okay, I think we found our culprit of where the stench of weed was coming from because nobody else would be that giggly about that joke. But I didn't bother to see who it could have been after the movie ended. I just didn't care that much by the time it was over. I just want to get out of there. But hey, you guys want to hear about Cocaine Bear. I get it, so let me talk about Cocaine Bear. I kind of made it clear on the offset that this movie was fine to me. It was a fun movie, but I just didn't really care much beyond that. I think it's a perfectly okay movie. It probably would have been more okay for me if I was watching it with some friends. Maybe I would have found it a little more funny than it maybe was. I don't know. I was just sitting there saying some of this is funny, but it's kind of exactly what you see in the trailers and really not too much more. I mean, it's more violent than the trailers, but the humor is about the same as anything you would see in the trailers to this movie. So I didn't feel like there was anything that crazy funny throughout the movie. Honest to goodness, the thing that carried the movie for me were these two characters in the film, one played by Alden Ehrenreich who you guys might know as Han Solo from the movie Solo, A Star Wars Story. And he's also in that Coen Brothers movie Hail Caesar, which I'm a fan of almost entirely because of him. It's an okay movie overall, but he is so funny in that movie. And then he's going to be in Christopher Nolan's upcoming Oppenheimer film, which I'm obviously looking forward to. But yeah, I really like Alden Ehrenreich and he is... My favorite part of this movie, and it's not particularly close. But the guy with him in the movie is O'Shea Jackson Jr., who some of you might know as being the son of Ice Cube. He's another actor that I actually really like. I think he's pretty talented, and he's good at not to say different stuff than his dad, but his type of acting is definitely different than his dad's type. They're both funny, but in their own ways. He was also in the movie Den of Thieves with Gerard Butler and Pablo Schrieber, which is a decent movie overall, but I really like his character in the movie. His character ends up being pretty cool by the end. But yeah, before I get too deep into their characters, I guess I should just lay it all out. So the movie opens with a guy throwing a bunch of bags of cocaine off of his plane, a bunch of these red bags that are stuffed with cocaine. And he's also got a parachute, so he's gonna abort Plane, it seems like, but he hits his head on the way out and ends up dying. So this guy, played by Ray Liotta, who is a legend, by the way, Ray Liotta passed away. I believe it was last year, and so I think this will be the last project anyone ever sees him in. Which, not to say, is a shame, but I think he had better stuff out there than this movie. But Ray Liotta's character is a drug trafficker and that cocaine is cocaine that he is responsible for and he's responsible for getting it to specific people. Otherwise, bad stuff could happen to him and his family. So he tasks O'Shea Jackson Jr. to go find his son and have his son go to this place with them in Tennessee to recover the cocaine. His son, who is played by Alden Ehrenreich. The thing about Alden Ehrenreich's character, though, is that he does not care for the life of crime. He does not want to follow the life that his dad has laid out before him and has kind of gotten out of it. And his dad believes he's out of it because of his wife, and it establishes right away that his wife has just passed away in this movie, so he's saying, hey, he might be back in now that she's out of the picture. But it's immediately obvious that he's very sad about the passing of his wife and still has no interest in helping his father's business. But he goes along with O'Shea Jackson Jr. regardless because deep down, they're friends. They have a history. And so he's like, you know what? Gotta do it because one, his dad wants him to and two, because O'Shea Jackson Jr. is his friend. But the two of them together, I think, are very funny because Alden Ehrenreich is great at playing the super depressed friend who is also just the nice guy in the group. O'Shea Jackson Jr. is not to say the tough guy, but he is the guy that will get maybe a little bit carried away when they're trying to get information and trying to find out exactly where the cocaine is. But Alden Ehrenreich is the cool head, always trying to find the safer, more peaceful solution to situations. And I think he's very funny in that role. So, honestly, they were my two favorite characters in this movie. And I would have almost preferred that it was entirely about them. But sadly, there are a few other storylines going on simultaneously because Carrie Russell is in this film and she has a daughter. And her daughter skips school with one of her friends. And they go out into these woods and they find some of the cocaine. And it's not too long before they encounter the cocaine bear. And so they are on the run from that bear. Carrie Russell, not really knowing where her daughter is, is eventually able to determine that that is probably where she is in these woods because they originally had plans there that day, her and her daughter. And she said she probably just went there without me with her friend. And so she is going to find her daughter. And then there are a few other characters. There is a cop in this movie, and there is the park ranger, and some other random teenagers. And truly, I don't care about most of the characters in this film. I actually really found Alden Ehrenreich's character to be kind of endearing, and I liked O'Shea Jackson Jr.'s character where I said, well, none of them really want to be doing this job. They kind of just have to be doing this job. And one guy wants to get it done as quick as possible. And the other guy really doesn't care whether or not it gets done. He's kind of just along for the ride. And I just would have preferred most of the movie focused around them because I like Carrie Russell. She's a good actor and the kid actors do a decent job as well. But I just didn't really care that much. Like they're fine, but I just couldn't get too invested in their side of the story. I was like, man, if the daughter dies, she dies, whatever. And same with some of the other characters. I was like, oh boy, they're going to die. And I just didn't really care because I knew exactly how it was going to happen. I didn't think it was shot that cleverly. It was kind of just like, oh, this person shows up. The bear's going to jump out and kill him soon. And yeah, that would happen. So there's some funny deaths, more or less. I suppose, and some other mildly funny humor throughout, but most of the humor is just, oh, bear is doing cocaine. Bear is killing people while on cocaine. And they also flash at the beginning that this is based on a true story, and then at the end they say the aftermath of the story, but they leave out some very important details. One of those details is that this bear didn't kill anybody. Yes, this cocaine was dropped into this forest in Tennessee. And yes, this black bear found it. The black bear just ate it all and died. Then they had it stuffed and put it up at some local hotel or casino or something like that. But he didn't kill anybody. I know it's a movie, so we're taking some creative liberties for the sake of entertainment, but this is basically a completely fictional movie that is inspired by one event that was real. Yes, there was cocaine dropped in a forest. Yes, there was a bear that got into the cocaine. That bear died probably in 15 minutes and never even saw anybody else. This bear is alive all day and is just wrecking people from start to finish. Also, the bear is massive in this movie. And in reality, this was just a regular size black bear. I think I remember looking it up and it wasn't even that heavy. Where I was thinking at one point in the movie, I said, wow that should be crushing this guy because he is on top of a guy at one point. Or I guess the bear is technically a she. So she is on top of a guy at one point. But yeah, I looked at the actual weight of the bear and it was not too heavy. So it was not a very large bear by any means. I mean, black bears in general are not very big, but this one especially was not big at all. So that was one thing where I said, man, people are going to watch this and think that at least some of this happened. That yeah, it was exaggerated, but that some of this happened, that the bear at least killed some people, and that maybe they played it up a little bit for the big screen, but no, nobody died. And I don't really know if any of these characters in this movie actually existed, because yeah, there's the guy that dies at the beginning, and he apparently was a real guy, but Ray Liotta's character, his son... I'm very sure they were not real characters at all. I do not even know if they were inspired by real people. I think everything in this movie was fictional outside of the fact that cocaine was dropped in forest. bear got into cocaine, and even the bear is exaggerated. Now, historical accuracy shouldn't matter because this movie is meant to be silly, but I am just saying that when you see this, keep in mind that none of this actually happened, like not a single bit of it happened other than bear got into cocaine. That's it, that is all. And hey, the movie's not very long. It's like a 90-minute movie, so if you just wanna sit through 90 minutes of watching a bear kill people in over-the-top ways, and it is pretty campy with how it's shot, So it's made to be a fun movie, and it's a fun movie. It's nothing other than a fun movie. So overall, I just walked out and said, well, that was fine. That was okay. I don't see myself ever rewatching this one, but I did look, and it seems that most people are liking this movie, that I might be in the minority, that I just wasn't entirely crazy over it. For me personally, I just really like movies that I can emotionally connect to. And the only character that I was able to connect to in any way was Alden Ehrenreich. And honestly, I think it's just because I like him as an actor. And I thought his character was decently entertaining. But he's the only character I really cared about him and O'Shea Jackson Jr. Where for the most part, I was like, oh, any of these people could die. I would not care. But those were the two that when they were on screen, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Throughout the movie. So, I think that's part of it. Is you kind of want characters that people care whether or not they die. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe because it's a silly movie that doesn't matter as much. But for me, that might have been why I enjoyed their scenes more, is because I actually liked their characters and was rooting for them to not die. But yeah, I don't have too much else to say about this movie. I think it's perfectly okay. It's a crowd pleaser type of film, it's not meant to be anything more than that. If you want to see it, if this is your idea of a fun movie, then go check it out. This is one that I thought in theory sounded interesting. And when I saw the trailer, I said, yeah, I'll probably watch that. It just didn't look that interesting to me. And I saw it and I said, yeah, this is exactly what I thought it would be. So if this is something that you're like really stoked about seeing, then I would see it because you'll probably like it more than I did. This might be way more up your alley than mine. And I've said, it's a fun movie. I just didn't really care that much. It's just not my favorite movie that I've seen. And look, it's shot by Elizabeth Banks, who I think is a perfectly decent director. She did that Charlie's Angels reboot that came out in 2019. Nobody really saw it, but I actually thought it was okay. Most people did not see it, and so they assumed it was bad because it did poorly at the box office. But as one of the only people that saw the movie, I thought it was a pretty fun movie. Like, there's nothing that really stands out about Elizabeth Banks directing. I talked recently about actors turned directors, how a lot of their movies are kind of just mediocre, where it's like, wow, you stepped outside of your realm for just that. I think Elizabeth Banks is a little bit better than mediocre. I think she's okay, at least as a director, but I probably just prefer her as an actor in these movies. No disrespect to her. Although that sounds a bit disrespectful, I'm not intending to be mean-spirited about this. I'm just saying I think she's an okay, pretty decent director, but I like my directors to be better than pretty decent. And this is a movie that maybe with a different director, I might have had more fun with it, but I don't know. Maybe Elizabeth Banks got the most out of the story that she could have, seen, as this is a made-up story anyway, and it's just way exaggerated, so I don't know. But those are my thoughts on Cocaine Bear. If you guys are curious to see this one, then for sure, go ahead and see it. For me personally, I would recommend seeing it at a matinee showing or one of those Tuesday night showings where you can get it for a little bit cheaper. I don't know if I would base my Friday night or Saturday night plans around these unless you've got a big group of friends that have been dying to see this, in which case, you know what, it might be fun. Or if you're looking to be tripping out on drugs or uh, high as a kite when you see this, then hey. See it whenever you want, I guess. It might be a lot more fun. I have no idea. But that is all I have for today. Later this week, I'm going to be recapping the Scream movies and the Creed movies as Creed is releasing at the end of this week, and I will be dropping my episode at the start of next week for Creed 3. And then going forward, it's just going to be a very busy month of movies. There are a couple movies almost every weekend that I will be seeing. So. Almost every single episode I drop will not be throwbacks. They'll mostly be new movies at the theater that I am seeing. So this will be a really good month to be tuned into the podcast, especially if you are looking to watch stuff at the theater. I'm going to try and watch as many things as possible so that I can give you guys some good options for things to go see. So again, make sure you are following the podcast so you can be up to date on all the latest episodes I'm dropping. Thank you all for tuning in. You'll hear from me later this week.